I'm Mike. I'm Grant. We've got a big order coming in, Grant, from the North Pole. What, like Barneo Ice Camp? It's a good spot for riders, but hard to ship to. No, Grant, from Santa Claus himself. We're officially subcontractors now. Well, that explains why my coverall's been replaced with an elf costume. We're filling stockings with ideas and idioms, handmade in the MacGuffin Factory. Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the MacGuffin Factory. You may have noticed that this is slightly off schedule. Because we are terrible people who cannot work calendars. Also, I've been really sick. Grant's been sick. Uh, the nature of the holidays means that a lot of food comas happen and a lot of calendars get misplaced. <laughs> My child gets a fever of 103 degrees for four straight days. Yeah, just a whole lot of, of ridiculousness happened. But we been bad. We figured that since we generally try to do it towards the end of the month anyway, and the normal time when this happens in December usually is when people are celebrating Christmas... We figured rather than worry too much about missing November, we'll just put right in the middle here and have it be for November and December and call it the special holiday edition of the MacGuffin Factory. Also, we're kind of Grinches and you only get one for the holidays. Ha ha! <laughs> no, seriously, I own a Bah Humbug hat. It's the only Christmas hat I own. The cat's destroyed the puff on the end of it. Aw, see, even the puff got taken out of the Bah Humbug hat. I know, it's double Grinchy now. <laughs> Alright, but seriously, for those of you who are just joining us, let's tell you real quick about what this podcast is. MacGuffins are a traditional part of storytelling. It's the object that is important to a story, but doesn't really matter what it is. Classic example, the Maltese Falcon. It could be any treasure. The treasure... The pursuit of the treasure is the story. The drama around it is the story. Who cares what it actually is, right? So we focus on MacGuffins and plot devices, you know, things that are actually important to the story. Um, some advice for listeners. If you hear something that gets you thinking, stop what you're doing safely. If you're driving, operating heavy machinery, talking to your boss, whatever, pause the podcast Follow that train of thought when you're writing down ideas and, and getting inspired, because that's what we're here for, is to inspire you. Don't let that moment pass. It's really important. I can't tell you how many times I've been driving, heard, oh yeah, that's that's a really good idea. I should remember that 30 minutes later after I've listened to the rest of the podcast. Yeah, no, we definitely allow for the fact that hopefully, Lord willing, the stuff that we're talking about is actually interesting and will get you guys thinking. And if that's the case, we do not want that to miss. It's okay if you stop this podcast right now. We're still going to be here when you come back. Yeah. In fact, if you stop it and never come back because you're too busy writing, awesome. We did our job. Exactly. All right. So, mm -hmm. quick reminder. Uh, if you like what we do, review us on iTunes, share us out. Uh Tell your friends, etc. Word of mouth is always good. This is, I'm actually really excited about this episode because I'm a big sucker for big traditional parties. Like, that's me in real life, and it's also me in, in storytelling and stuff like that. I'm a real big fan of, you know, ever since I was a kid and I would watch, like, A Christmas Carol with my dad and see Fezziwig's party and stuff like that. Big traditional holiday kind of parties really just get to me. I don't know about you, but I don't know about you, Grant. Well, as your resident Grinch, I'm going to tell you that what I get really excited about on holidays, aside from the family stuff that really does excite me, like I love doing things with my family. My favorite part of the holidays 
is pajamas and video games in my Baja mug hat. <laughs> you know, I can get behind that. I, I can I know, support it's that. great. Yeah, but no, um, family time is actually what does it for me, uh, at least around Christmas and Thanksgiving. Easter is, I don't know, church? Yay? All right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Halloween? Well, I mean, it was fine. And then I started having to give away the candy instead of collecting it. Hmm. <laughs> you really are going for the full-on humbug. Yes, I am. All right, let's, it's let's, what I do. Let's get some, talking about some stories then before you know we, we use up all your holiday goodwill. All right, let's do that. Uh, of course, every festival and holiday has some important object without which we cannot do it. Maybe it's the Christmas stocking. Maybe it's the Olympic torch. Maybe it's the sacrificial knife. Maybe it's the sacrificial animal. Whatever it is, there's always something that you cannot do without. Maybe it's the perfect turkey. I don't know, right? Whatever it is in your story, the hunt for that thing is valuable, especially if it has gone missing, if somebody has lost it, if it's stolen, you know, the pursuit of the stolen important holy object is a classic. Uh, Maybe it's just been delayed and you've got to go find it, or you're the people trying to get it where it's supposed to go. Again, the Olympic torch, right? It's got to get from a mountain to wherever it's being hosted. And, you know, sure, these days there are camera crews and, you know, whole infrastructure there, but back in the day it was, well... Let's hope whoever's running it doesn't drop it, or we're going to have to go find him on the mountain. So, those stories, I think, have a lot of interesting, and not, they're good spaces for personal drama, because whatever you're after, the story can end almost when you find it. It's just about, you know, the pursuit, and the people going together to find that thing. And I think that's great. And and often in those situations, there's usually like, – I've done this before with, with groups that I've run. It's just that idea that everybody came together last minute because you guys are the, the best and brightest and you become kind of the party through the course of doing this odd job. Sure. Like the town needs you and you're all part of the town, but through the course of this journey, you become something more. Exactly. Um, and you've got kind of a, a good example of this. Mike, go ahead. I really do. I, I came up with this idea of, you know, there are, are flowers that will bloom every once in a while. Like in the real world, you've got like they only bloom at night or they only bloom like when the weather is right. There are uh, there are desert flowers that literally are only blooming like for like a week and a half during the course of a year. So I, I kind of kick that up to a whole other notch and say that there's one flower that is up on the tallest peak of wherever you set this, no matter time frame or location, but wherever it is like the tallest mountain, there is one flower that every 10 years it blooms with a single blossom. And so there's this epic kind of chase to go be the person to go up to the mountain, grab the blossom and bring it back to town. The catch for this one though, is, is that it's not enough just to go up there and get it. You have to return with it intact. And I love the idea of these like hardened, grizzled warriors going out to climb this mountain, fight off anything that gets in their way, all the while protecting this tiny, delicate thing. 
Sure. And I, I think that dichotomy, it doesn't necessarily have to be a flower. It could be anything fragile and delicate, I think, works very well. Right. No, you can definitely be flexible with that. I, just, I think the, the key elements are the fact that it's delicate, the fact that it's rare, and the fact that it's, it's tied together with some kind of timely aspect. That, yes. that it only it's only viable during this one time, so you have one shot to do this right. Perfect. All right, well, let's move on. It wouldn't be a MacGuffin Factory episode if I didn't mention something mysterious and creepy, now would it? it we always need to have the spooky ghost story. It's a requirement. Exactly. Yeah. So it occurred to me while I was driving the other day that, you know, we're not the only people who celebrate holidays. Ghosts probably do too, right? Come on. Am I the only one? Okay, I'm the only one who thought that. Fine. <laughs> but still, you know, it w- wouldn't it be interesting if the ghosts that kind of live around us and, you know, are haunting us all the time have their own holidays? And some of them are so old that they're celebrating completely different holidays that we don't remember. And wouldn't that be a fun source of a, you know, the the reason why hauntings and weird events are happening on this day of the year that doesn't correspond to any traditional day of haunting, anniversary of death, loved one's, you know, birthday, uh, day the house burned down, you know, whatever, right? All those traumatic moments. No, they're busy haunting because a particular feast day that was important to them. You know, something weird and random and something that we have completely forgotten. It's, a, you know, the hunt for why is it on this day? And okay, now we know what do we need to do about it? How do we interrupt this ritual that we literally have all forgotten about? Seems like a fun idea, especially since these may be generations or centuries old ghosts that are doing things completely unconnected to the modern world. Well, it, it could also be interesting because of, of setting and, and what kind of system or what kind of kind of vibe you're going for when you do this because i could see doing like a dresden files game where that could be almost on the silly aspect of it like dresden's like i can't believe it these stupid things you know on the feast of saint whoever the crap like i could see that happening or we could go super serious and have it be like go super serious and scary absolutely but i kind of like the sillier take on it i think that would be fun get almost a, a grim fandango kind of feel to it a corpse bride kind of feel to it where all of a sudden there's this there's this whole other i'm gonna say it i'm gonna say it nightlife yeah going on you know but i'm where bummed. yeah um where there's just a society of ghosts kind of living around people and doing their own thing completely unconnected but it's interfering and somebody's got to cross that border and deal with it yeah, no, I I think it's good, especially because it does give the flexibility. I agree with you that I do think that it, you know, at least for my, for, for my storytelling dollar, I would go with more of a, a silly kind of, you know, what are the ghosts doing kind of yeah. way. But the fact that it does... Why is that ghost wearing a sheepskin? Yeah. <laughs> the, the fact that it has that flexibility is good, too. Perfect. All right, your next one. Speaking of ghosts and bump things that go bump in the night. It's really funny because you and I were apparently very much on the uh, same page when we came up with this one. We both want Grim Fandango back. That's really what we it comes really down to. We really do. And the fact that it is available means that, you know, maybe I'll be downloading that after we're done with this episode. There you go. Uh, but I came up with the idea of, of a monster's ball. 
uh, I like the idea that all the the underworld nastiness, you know, kind of like what you were saying with the ghost having their own little society. I kind of had this thing like, what if the monsters and the, especially in in certain fantasy settings where these monsters are sentient, they're not just mindless beasts; they have personalities. So. What if they have their own celebrations? What if they get together? And what if every year they have some great big festival where they all gather in the same place? But to kind of kick it up to another level as to why anyone in their right mind would go to a festival that is the darkest and awfulest of of the world. Uh, I had this idea of rumors start sprinkling out through all the little, the, the murmurings of the underdark, as it were, that this year is different that this year someone has gotten it in their mind to really start a rebellion kind of start the we're we're not just satisfied being kind of just out there and and making things you know up, upsetting and dangerous for the populace if if at this festival they can rally everyone together under one banner they could literally conquer everything so the the MacGuffin is that festival. It's getting there, but it's also trying to figure out now what do you do to either bring peace or just confuse... Because you're not going to end up killing everybody because this is li- literally like everything dark and vile. But maybe so enough discord and confusion that they can't get together because that's the big thing. Is It's a gathering. I like it. All right. My next one. The perfect thing. Every story about Christmas seems to be involve a search for the perfect thing. Am I wrong? Like, is this not the plot of every Christmas movie? No, it, it's pretty much the thing. Oh, we need the perfect Christmas tree. Oh, we need the perfect uh, Christmas ham. You know, so on and so forth, right? But that search for the perfect thing is a really important one. I kind of touched on this with that very first thing we talked about, you know, the the missing thing. But... The journey to find it is where the story happens. Um, Maybe you are looking for the perfect Christmas tree for Christmas. Maybe you're looking for the perfect recipe for the party. Maybe it's the perfect Thanksgiving turkey, the perfect casket for mom's funeral. Whatever it is, the process of finding it, the people you meet, the struggle, uh, you know, what's wrong? What does it say about the point of view character, the protagonist, presumably, who is searching for it, that this or that is not suitable, that this thing is... Those are all great ways to kind of do a character study while there's some comedy and action happening. And it can be comic. It can be very lightly comic. It can be kind of darkly comic. It doesn't really matter. Again, it's whatever story you're writing. But that, that journey to be satisfied is a very powerful thing. And that MacGuffin that you pick is a good way to kind of, again, get into that character and describe a situation, but it doesn't really matter what it is. It can be a perfect Christmas anything. Who cares? It's trying to find it. As your setup describes so aptly, it literally can be anything, because we can cite stories that are, I'm searching for this, I'm searching for that, I'm searching for whatever. Yeah, exactly. All right, Mike, your next one. All right. I love the idea of there being some kind of central religious place that is far off in the distance it is not part of the day to day, and it's where the high priest of, you know, whether it's it's a 
polytheistic system or, or monotheistic, whatever it is, but the central hub is somewhere else, and the high priest literally just never leaves that temple except for one time a year during whatever festival it is to that, that priest's God, that's when the priest comes out. But in order for that priest to get to where it needs, where he needs to go successfully, he, he can't just wander out by himself. When you spend your entire day, every day of your life living in a secluded walled kind of structure, you're not ready to handle the world outside. So he needs an escort. And the idea is is that uh, the party would be able to go out, find that location, and then once they get there and once they've secured the person, to bring them back to where they're going. And to right. do so safely. Because... There and it provides a lot. The reason I like this is because it's a persistent MacGuffin. Like even when you get it, there's still a whole other journey afterwards to get it that get the, the person there, because mm-hmm. that allows for all sorts of along the way kind of things. Like what if the high priest sees something that makes me question his faith? What if you know the the high priest gets hurt or sick? What if you know uh, all sorts of stuff can happen along the way? And there's a lot of ways to riff on it too because. What if he doesn't come out this year? Right. What if he can't come out because there's a war on or a bad flood? What if, you know, the king doesn't want him to come out and there's a conflict there? So, you, you know, it's well uh, people trying to, you know, keep him in or, okay, no, you're not the right religion anymore. So, you know, we're going with this other one, you know, very uh, traditional kind of like Bronze Age kind of thing where it's like, nope. I've picked a different god. You stay there. Don't do your thing. Well, We're doing this other thing. We could even bust out very much like a Day of Atonement kind of thing where it's like, all right, he went in. We're not allowed to follow him, but he's not coming out anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right, Grant, what, what's your next one? All right. So we talked about the perfect thing earlier. Let's talk about the worst thing possible, right? Uh, the unlucky object. There are a lot of festivals and holidays around the world, most of them involving like the start of the year or right around the end of the year, that kind of thing, about getting rid of the year's bad luck or making sure that you don't have bad luck in the next year. Often there's kind of a ritual action in those festivals where you're putting that bad luck into something to get rid of it. It's a scapegoating. A little bit of scapegoating, but it's it's more of a... Um, a, a, a ritual action involving some inanimate object. Um, there's a, a Japanese festival in a particular town that I'm thinking of. Saw a, a show on a, a while back where all of the town's bad luck, you know, kind of gets put into this one guy, and then he kind of makes a, a big rice cake kind of thing, and that gets buried out in the woods somewhere, and that takes all of the town's bad luck away with it, and it, you know, they're they're good for the next year. That sort of thing. You know, maybe yours involves bottles or notes that get burned. You know, whatever. Yeah. It, it, well, those uh, things are naturally interesting. Uh, aside from the physical form that they take, you know, is there meaning to that? You could very easily say, oh, no, these things are magically significant. What if I, you know, go collect the cake or the bottle that everybody's bad luck is in? What can I do with that stored up bad mojo? What, you know, what can I do if I know all of the, the bad secrets of the town that people thought they were getting rid of, but I've secretly been collecting? And it may be, 
that you end up with a almost a Groundhog Day kind of thing where, or you know, a a, a more Stephen Kingy kind of thing where this town gets isolated, and they can't get rid of that bad luck object. You know, they've put it all in this thing, but they can't get rid of it. How bad could it really be if it just all if that concentrated bad luck just sat on the shelf for 24 hours. I mean, that can't be that bad, right? How about 48 hours, 72 hours, right there in the center of town? Well, and it... Somebody hoping it goes away. It it can also provide an interesting kind of setting, depending on, on what you're looking for there, because you almost get that point where the characters can start asking the question, does this really actually do anything? Yeah, you can go that route. You know, I like the idea that it, it very clearly definitely does, and it's a terrible problem. But you could also just have make it very psychological, where everybody's looking at it going, so what's different? Yeah. Do you feel and different? See that, I don't feel different. That's the, the thing that I like about it. it it's, it's, it's kind of, I'm, I kind of go for a, a usual suspects kind of run on this. And if you've never seen that movie, I, I'm sorry, because I'm about to make a horrible, horrible spoiler that will ruin your day. Um the beautiful aspect that that line that always sticks at the end of the usual suspects the, the greatest lie the devil ever the devil ever told was that he doesn't exist and yep i love that idea like there is actually something to this object that you know whatever the the various ritual thing is that there is actually something there and the fact that it didn't go away the fact that the ceremony was not completed does actually have a, a deep kind of impact but it doesn't manifest right away or it's not some big showy thing but it's this very subtle very insidious kind of thing all right did you did you have another one before i move on to my next one yeah i did speaking of some more serious studies psychological kind of things and hurting um you could kind of invert the whole hey it's the holidays thing and make it about avoiding the holidays and I think this is a good option, a good subject matter for a more serious study. Here, in this case, the MacGuffin is not a single object, but rather everything about a particular holiday. I I think we all kind of understand in the back of our minds that not everybody enjoys every holiday. And in particular, around Christmas, especially when everybody is going, oh, it's the holidays, it's a season of joy and love. There are people who hurt a lot. Maybe they've lost someone, you know, and Christmas is particularly painful for them. Maybe they've just had a terrible year and they just don't feel it, something like that. There could very easily be a story in trying to take care of someone by keeping all kinds of trappings of that particular holiday away from them. You know, maybe they used to love Christmas and now it's just, it's physically painful. You know, it's, it's like your, your elderly father who just can't stand Christmas. Because it, it hurts him too much. How incredibly hard would it be to keep Christmas away from him this kind this time of year? You know, it's got a certain comic aspect to it if you do it right, but it also can be a very serious study of, I think, pain and grief and loss and that sort of thing. Um, I'll, I'll tell you right now, our church actually does a Blue Christmas event. It's a special service for people who are suffering from this. You know, people who don't find any joy in Christmas because it really hurts this year, that kind of thing. Hmm. And get tapping into that same sort of emotion, I think could be very powerful because it it's approaching 
oh, the Christmas holiday story or, you know, whatever. Because holidays are usually all about some sort of event that is important and needs to be celebrated. And tapping into that and inverting it a bit to say, I can't celebrate it this year. I don't want to celebrate it. It's not doing what it's supposed to do for this person because that person is broken in some way or society's broken in some way that they are being left out of it. I think that approach can be very interesting and has a lot of potential for people to follow up on. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you're doing it in more of a, a modern, you know, reality based kind of system, because, oh my goodness, it's so prevalent. Just the concept of even how to pull that off is, yeah, I could see how mm-hmm. that could be a serious challenge. Yeah. And the challenge of it and, you know, the struggle, those moments of failure, because again, you know, have, putting those moments where you do fail, I think, into the story could be particularly illuminating, right? It's a, a little climax between acts kind of thing. Mm. All right, Mike, what's your next one? All right, this next one is my my last one. And uh, this one is the most malleable of the ones that I brought up for this one because, it, to me, it, it's hard to have a discussion of festivals and ceremonies um, without talking about some kind of coming-of-age event, uh, pretty much cultures everywhere have some kind of great big festival that says this is when, you know, you become a man or this is when, you know, uh, various aspects of life change where things are are different. You've got a new job, you've got whatever. There's a thing that happens that's that signifies that important change. Uh-huh. Well... Whatever it is, uh, whatever you decide to set it in, it requires some kind of pilgrimage. Like, everyone knows this. When you reach that point where you're about to make this change, you have to go on this pilgrimage. And the idea that, that really stuck with me and, and where the MacGuffin falls into this is the idea that it's really easy to do those things when it's set, when it's it's easy to go there or talk to the guy or whatever it, when you know what you're doing, it becomes a real simple thing. It's just something you do. But what if the place or the person that you're trying to get to to do this ceremony is mobile and you don't know where it is? Mm-hmm. I had the idea of, like, you need to go see this wise man, this traveling hermit, but no one knows where he is. Or the idea of the ceremony has to take place in... in the thing that came to my mind was like a floating city, like this this lost thing that just floats up into the air, this place that that you really have no concept of, of where it is or how in the world you're going to get to it, even if you did know where it was. But in order for that to happen, you have to be there. Okay, I like it. So it just becomes this narrative of not – you have the aspect of finding it and then you begin – the aspect of actually getting there. Yeah. No, I, I think it's good. And that's a good opportunity for a lot of symbolism. What are we really chasing here? Right. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on with that. So my last one uh, is all about proof. Uh, let's be honest. A lot of holidays have accreted, let's say, various mythological creatures. Leprechauns, the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, Santa's Reindeer... Santa's elves. <laughs> Heck, even I'm still bitter about that coverall. I'm just saying, 
Well, you can even that sort of you can thing. even in in recent times. Well, it, it's been around for generations, but it's recently around here been been getting more and more power. Is the uh, the mythical creature known as Krampus? Yeah. Yep. You know, Scrooge has a certain mythic quality to him, as do the three ghosts of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Right, that that sort of thing. Punxsutawney Phil, does he count? I don't know. <laughs> Still, I don't think we can count a groundhog as a mythical creature. No, no, but the idea of the groundhog, right? The the mythic groundhog that each ground. Right. Okay, no, that's yeah. that's a rich. Still, but I get where you're going. All of these, all of these are fantastic mythological creatures. Maybe they're unrelated to the you know the the core element of that holiday, but they accrete. You know, they're part of it. Solid examples that those things really exist are a fantastic MacGuffin. This is probably the other half of every Christmas story, you know, oh, Santa Claus is real kind of thing. But solid, undeniable proof. Video of Santa Claus flying around, you know, on like film or something, not a cell phone. Um, Hair samples from the Easter Bunny, um, you know, uh, one of Rudolph's hooves, whatever, right? Something that is solid proof that this thing exists is a great MacGuffin. You can have everything from a, you know, an action story with some supernatural hijinks going on as all sorts of forces and governments try and capture, you know, the, the special agent carrying the proof or the, the courier or what have you. You can have it go kind of dark and have that mythological entity captured or kidnapped, transported for study or sale. You can go really light and do the traditional look Santa is real Christmas movie shtick Whatever you want to do with it, proof that the thing is real, proof that there is magic in the world, as exemplified by the holidays we celebrate, is really powerful. And while it has been done, I would love it to be done well, please, just once for me, please. The, this, Come the on. second you started talking about this, I, w- I was immediately brought to... There was a while back, there was a, I think it was a robot chicken sketch, which is, it's a hilarious TV show and it had dark, so dark, oh, oh, very dark, but pretty funny. Although I found you can't go back. Like now that I'm out of college and all that, like I, we watch it and it's just, uh, (laughs) it's not funny anymore. (laughs) You do have to be in a certain mindset, but there, there was one sketch where, uh, you know how traditionally every year NORAD puts out the we're tracking Santa. Oh, yeah. Well, the idea was what if Santa went over a no-fly zone <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and failed to uh, to signal as to his flight path? <laughs> and yep. so it was it, – it, that sketch ended up being incredibly dark because they ended up shooting Santa down and it just cuts to two kids waiting by the Christmas tree with nothing there. Oh, but, yeah. Well, but it goes slightly lighter. Maybe your MacGuffin is, you know, 60 years of NORAD's actual tracking of Santa. Right. They Like, they actually are tracking Santa. Like, the actual data. You know, they're like, yeah, there he is. You know, this is state, it's state secret, and somebody smuggles it out. You know, that kind of thing. Right. You, again, you get that uh, board identity kind of, you know, action hijinks over really ridiculous data you know you've you've got the u.s government and santa's elves both after you come on (laughs) and i like that too just because you you know you're gonna have that moment of okay seriously what are we actually doing exactly 
All right. So let's get into our blueprints, right? These things that where we can point to specific examples of media that already exist that exemplify this. And I think we have to start with a miracle on 34th Street. Oh, yeah. Yes, Virginia, there is which, a MacGuffin. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Nightmare Before Christmas, I think, does a lot of these things, you know, it subverts them pretty well. Uh, has a lot of these elements, the kidnapping, for yeah, example. The, the thing I love about Nightmare is the fact that, one, yeah, you do have the kidnapping, but it's also just Christmas itself is kind of the MacGuffin in that. Like, the, like mm-hmm. just the understanding of what that holiday is, like, the, the whole movie is Jack chasing that. It is. I, it might be a stretch to even call it a MacGuffin, but at the same time, I it's certainly a central story element and interesting to see put in action so the other one i'm going to recommend well two the first is what i think is roger zelazny's best book yeah i'm I'm going to ask you to explain this one because i don't know anything about this well okay you're going to fix that you're going to go to the library or amazon or whatever and you're going to buy this book and you're going to love it trust me uh the book is a night in the lonesome october which is a story of Halloween. It's it's a Halloween story is really all it comes down to. I don't want to spoil it very much, but suffice it to say all the monsters, those archetypal monsters are real. They all have goals on Halloween and they they don't always have the same goals every year depending on which side they choose. And the main character is Jack the Ripper. Nice. It's great. Last one I'm going to recommend, and I'm going to recommend this because you were talking about the journey to find something hard to find and mobile. Yeah. This, you know, that, that big place. You, you added this one in the process of me telling that, that particular MacGuffin, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, we need to talk about that. I'm so glad I rewatched it this last week. Hio Miyazaki's Castle in the Sky. Again, I don't want to spoil it very much. If you're not familiar with Studio Ghibli's films, fix that, that now. All just, of them. Just go just watch, watch all, all of them. Of them. Uh, except for Tales from Earthsea. This is actually, if you but, think about it, this is actually the second time we've referenced a Miyazaki film because a couple episodes ago we were talking about Howl's Moving Castle. You're right. Uh, Castle in the Sky is lovely. It's relatively old as far as anime films known in the United States go but it was actually i think released through disney so pretty easy to get a hold of uh and the english dub is very very good don't be afraid to watch it in english it's got a fantastic voice cast mark hamill come yeah. on voice acts the bad I, guy pretty i'm pretty consistently happy with the dubs that they get to do miyazaki films exactly well worth it and it uh, has a lot of this hunt for a difficult to find MacGuffin element it's really good not festival related, but everything else is hit on very strongly in there, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, really good. All right, you got anything else before we close up shop? I'm good, man. I'm I'm looking forward to finishing up this year and enjoying you know Christmas and New Year's and all the other shenanigans that go on with the end of the year. So, I'm I'm looking forward to getting my bah humbug hat fixed. <laughs> my my heart is going to grow know, a size, size and a half. half. Maybe it's all I got room for. <laughs> All right, listen, listeners, readers, writers, take it easy. We'll catch you next time.
The MacGuffin Factory is produced by Inroads Ministries under a Creative Commons share-alike, non-commercial license. Find more MacGuffin Factory episodes and other great podcasts and articles on the web at inroadsministries.com. Our intro and outro music is Wyvern by Ray Rude, used under license and available at freemusicarchive.org. Find more of Ray Rude's music at needledrop.co. And remember, no matter the setting, no matter the medium, we all tell our stories together, so make them worth the telling.